electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, Illumina CEO Francis D'Souza on the key technology regulators and activists want the DNA sequencing company to divest. The FTC's administrative law judge ruled in favor of Illumina doing this deal and against the FTC. Now, the commissioners overruled that, and so we're now going to court, and the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals granted as an expedited review. Illumina's fight to keep Grail that tests for cancer based on a single drop of blood. I've heard of this before, but this one really works. And making the case to shareholders that it's worth it. The first 12-month revenue ramp for Grail has been the fastest of any cancer screening test in history. Big tech's big bets on artificial intelligence, an earnings recap, and the automated road ahead with investor Matt Higgins. Go back in time, right? Google has been finishing our sentences for how many years? That's AI. Who's going all in on AI? If someone's got to burn the boat in this in this tech context, who's burning the boat? Everybody. Plus, sizing up the regional bank balance sheets after a rough day at First Republic. But hey, no blues at Twitter. You are a peasant. In the lords and the peasants, you are a peasant, Joe Kernan. You jonesing for the blue? It is Tuesday, April 26th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Take a look at shares of First Republic falling more than 49% yesterday. This is investors questioning the bank and how it would stabilize itself after losing about 40% of its deposits in the first quarter. Now, it is trading near a record low, down more than 90% year-to-date. The bank reportedly now considering divesting 50 to 100 billion dollars in assets, including long-term uh, dated uh, mortgages and securities. Of course, that would be a bid to try to address what has been a mismatch between the assets and liabilities, and try to shore up its balance sheet to avoid being seized by the FDIC. We've talked about it. The high, we, as you just said, down 90 percent. The high 171. Yep. It's at eight. So it's the market cap. But this is the market cap right now is one point five billion dollars. So that's what shareholders have left that they have to divvy but up. This is also the risk imbalance, which is down why from thirty I think, billion. But why so Other many banks. of the but the management of First Republic has been unwilling, I think, to actually let the bank go into receivership or take a deal at these lowered prices. The problem is. They're not going to get higher. Prices. They're not going. They couldn't six. That, but there's a. They couldn't six months. There's been a bit of a. Um, they dare, couldn't. Dare I say, if you talk to the people, if you talk to people who've been involved in these negotiations, they will tell you that there has been a delusion among the management of this company. Because what happens is you have this idea in your head that this bank, you know, that you were worth $150 a share, and you're at $10 a share, $12, and you're thinking, okay, I got to get, can I get myself to 25 or 30? Not, can I take 10? Is that an acceptable thing to? And that's, I think, what's been this. Both game of chicken. The other, by the way, we talked about the game of chicken. You talk about banks on one side, First Republic on the other. There's also the government 
as the other member of this game of chicken, right. as to they would like to see a free market solution. They don't want to actually have to get involved in this right. or offer some crazy deal. And there's going to be pressure deal. that goes on all sides coming from the exactly. government. Look, the, the, the bigger issue with this, if they're trying to get rid of their portfolio, this is, isn't just a hold to maturity problem because this is not just treasuries we're talking about. They've got a very right. unique portfolio of some very expensive property right. all around San Francisco, maybe wine right. country, Napa, Napa Valley and Silicon Valley. Uh, but it's really expensive property that they have long-term mortgages on some of these things at very low rates because they were trying to lure people into their wealth business. Mm -hmm. Wealth business disappeared because nobody's going to be keeping more than $250,000 right. in this place. But you still have all these mortgages that are long-term. And the, right. the idea that they're going to be able to sell these things at, at right. the market, these higher prices, I, I, there's some reporting out there that suggests they're offering warrants for these things. Warrants on a stock that's down 93% year-to-date. Yeah. Um, the, um, that, uh, to get you to pay a higher price for them. To get you to, uh, uh, what I said, maybe six months you could, because you see, did you guys see that we didn't bring up yields today? See, two, oh, year, two if, years back below 4%. Yeah. Again, the 10 years is, I don't right know. Right at 3.5. Three, below 3.4. Everything's indicating that. They're going to have to cut rates? No, but they're all, they, we're almost there. I, when we talk about uh, Alphabet and Microsoft, I want to talk about it too, because. It just looks, okay, both companies did better, right? Both did better. But, for example, with Alphabet, their ad revenues fell less than 1%. Last quarter, it was 3.5%. Right. So we all know how bad the operating environment is. Does the Fed know? Like everybody's saying, well, based on how bad the, the macro is right now, these are good numbers. The other one was uh, Microsoft. Revenue rose 7%. It had been double digits, rising down. So it's already slowing. We can see it. But still yeah, pretty but good. This is a soft landing. Stop. They've done it. They've orchestrated it. It's, we're here. I'm in the Jamie Dimon camp. <laughs> no. I'm in the John Gray camp. I'm in, look, I think the people who are in that business and they see what's going on, and they're saying you're going to ultimately have to raise rates. And Why? Really, For what? Because it, because they are because they don't see dead. inflation coming down the way so you, you see inflation coming you down. You think the hurting demand is going to get that last little bit of inflation wrung out of the system when demands are we're already seeing that they've been affected. Even, even the housing market, everything. Even they, if they don't continue to raise rates, I, I think it's a pretty tough call to assume that they're going to drop rates. And dropping rates is what it's well, going that, to take th to save some of these things. Things would have to get significantly yeah. worse than what we saw from from uh, Alphabet and, and Microsoft, I guess. But I was happy, I'm happy that they haven't totally. Yes. Destroyed and, and inflation's trending down sharply. Three percent's not bad. I could even live with three and a half percent. Let's see if let's see if they're willing to live at three and a half percent. Meantime, let's let's tell you about shares of PacWest Bancorp because they are surging. That company saying that its deposits have been rising in recent weeks Weird. from twenty-seven point one billion on March twentieth to twenty-eight point two billion. That's at the end of March. It's still down from thirty-three point nine billion dollars as of December. Now, PacWest tumbled, of course, along with some of the other regional banks following the collapse of SVB and Signature Bank last month. But given what we're hearing out of First Republic, this is probably the best news they right. could have. Because it's not that not everyone is First Republic. It's not not every First regional Republic. is First Republic. Right. Becky highlighted all the individuals. So they got uh, they got some vineyards. <clears throat> Got some pretty expensive. A lot, of, a lot of the valleys. They have, nothing they in have the, done very low, like two percent. Silicon Valley for a very long time. Nothing in the San Fernando Valley. Right, and if you if you have these long term mortgages that you're that you're charging two percent on, but you're paying out four and a half percent to try and bring in deposits. Right. It's 
And then the question is, is the customer valuable to you at all anymore? I mean, right. if all, we, there was an idea that like a Morgan Stanley or somebody would want to own a bank like this. This was right. before things got worse and worse and worse, because maybe you could take these wealthy customers and put them onto your platform. But if the only reason they were on your platform, I mean, everyone says, oh, they had great customer service. But the whole business was predicated on these crazy low mortgage rates. That was the whole business. And if you can't offer that, it doesn't matter how great the service is, I don't think. And, it's not and even if the that is the service, even if you feel comfortable that FDIC might be extended to something like this, the moral, I don't think there's a moral hazard problem because shareholders haven't got squat left at this point. I mean, this is almost like letting it. I mean, at one point, it was $30 billion of equity, of shareholder equity. It's now $1.5 billion. That you can learn a lesson from that as a shareholder, can't you, and as a bank. Okay, but should, this is interesting. This goes back to the customer thing. If customers didn't keep their as much money as they did at a bank like this, and people, I think wealthy customers had lots of money at a bank like this, rather than just sitting, not $250,000 in cash, right. millions and millions of dollars in cash. Should have they, if they had spread it out, the, the whole model wouldn't have worked. In which case, it would have not. This whole thing wouldn't have happened yeah. to begin with either. So, if you can actually, this, this goes back to the dyna dynamic of: Do you care about what the customer motivation is as well? And, and, and that's why it is similar to Silicon Valley Bank. Right. These two were very similar in that respect, yeah. for different reasons. Silicon Valley, you know, all the uh, all the gnarly bros at 25 that had billions from their startups had to keep it at Silicon Valley. Right, well, it's, it's one thing if you're a business and you've got payroll there. There's a reason for keeping that much money right. in place. It's a different thing if you're just an individual. They understood, that, com they understood that community. They had, you know, yoga rooms and everything else. They were, uh, they, they were, ca they were catering to that uh, type of clientele. Chipotle. They, don't, they need a catering business. I don't, I don't like the cilantro. Uh, I know it's fresh. I prefer Taco Bell. You know I do, by, by leaps and bounds. Shares of Chipotle are jumping earnings Mistake. up. Mistake. $10.50 a share, shattering estimates of $8.92. Revenue was a slight beat. Companies' menu price hikes and lower avocado prices. Remember, they're never going to see an avocado again at one point. Helped improve profit margins compared with uh, the year-ago period. And on closing bell overtime yesterday, CEO Brian Nickel, who came from Taco Bell but hasn't transformed this enough for me, uh, said that higher income customers are returning to the restaurants uh, more frequently, lower income customers are visiting more often than they were six months ago, uh, but their traffic does remain down from a year ago. Here's what Nickel uh, said about pricing. We use it very um, sparingly. You know, we don't like to take price unless we absolutely need to. Uh, we had to take that based on some of the inflationary environment we're dealing with. And fortunately, what you can see is in our Q1 results, uh, we had great traffic results. Uh, we had great operational performance. And then we also opened a lot of new restaurants. So uh, all things actually uh, delivered for us in the first quarter. And Nichols said uh, the chain is pausing uh, price increases. Yesterday was Taco Tuesday, which uh, I did not, had nothing to do with it. If you, when's the last time you went to a Chipotle? And let me guess, burrito bowl, something that has no carby stuff and fresh Veggie Bose has often rice in it. I know. Uh, so what is your go-to item there? A burrito bowl? That's what my daughter I got. went, uh, physically went, maybe, I took my son. The tacos a couple aren't, aren't really very months good. ago, but we, we, we ordered in from there. I want to say maybe using Uber Eats even. So you get a burrito, not a burrito bowl. 
either a burrito or, yeah, I will cop to a, a salad bowl occasionally. Not as exciting, but, you know, better that's for not, you. That's not Mexican. Telling you. You need, We're like, all trying. Dorito-flavored things that, that yeah. they're, they're portmanteaus of different, me- like a... Uh, oh, true and, Mexican food. Yeah. Does, does that come? Does yeah. Mexican food? Yes. Taco, yes. Taco true Mexican. Does, does that come with an angioplasty on the side? Uh, no, mean, but it, it comes with a, uh, you know, you may be visiting a specific room in the house more often. The Twitter sphere is dead for me now without the blue check mark. It, it affects how many people are, are screaming at you, doesn't it, yeah. somehow? How? Well, either that or you've blocked everybody who's ever complained. No, I've blocked a lot of people, but I, that's not what it is. I no, was but getting... I, I feel like it's quieter, too. No, there's nothing happening. Yeah. There's no... And my son explained to me yesterday that if you don't have the blue check mark, you're not... You're not amplified. You're not amplified. Yeah. You are a peasant. In the lords and the peasants, you are a peasant, Joe Kernan. I'm not unhappy that it's not amplifying me as right. much. Right. I'm fine with this. You're still okay? You, you got a you, you totally Jones in for the blue? I am. I'm more than fine. I'm happy. You are. I think we're all good. <laughs> we're all good. Follow us on Twitter. Our gold checkmark handle is at Squawk CNBC. And up next on Squawk Pod, Illumina is a leader in genomic sequencing, and the company has acquired cancer detecting technology. Big stuff. It is now caught squarely in a proxy battle with noted activist Carl Icahn, who wants change at the company and on the board. Illumina CEO Francis D'Souza joins us. Our approach was to try and settle this and avoid a, a proxy battle. We didn't get anywhere because Carl wanted to have you know, two of his employees and one ex-employee on the board. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box. So right here on CNBC, we're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Manager Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. We are also watching shares of Illumina. Adjusted earnings a share came in $0.08. Cents. That beat estimates of $0.03. Cents. The DNA sequencing company unveiled plans to try and cut costs to help sh- uh, shrinking margins to help shore up margins. And Illumina, of course, has been battling criticism and a falling market capitalization after its controversial $7.1 billion acquisition of Grail. That's a cancer test developer. Antitrust regulators have repeatedly pushed back on that deal, both in the United States and in Europe. The FTC has actually ordered Illumina to divest it, and the European Commission blocked the deal over competition concerns. 
Illumina has appealed in both jurisdictions. The Grail acquisition, also the focus of a big proxy fight with investor Carl Icahn. He's seeking board seats and the ouster of the CEO, Francis D'Souza. In his normal kind of fiery rhetoric, Carl Icahn lays into D'Souza and the company, talks about a lot of different things. Obfuscation they're accusing, he's accusing them of. He talks about how the selling shareholders for Grail included Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. In his words, leaving Illumina's representatives at the negotiating table dangerously outgunned and outclassed. Illumina's CEO, Francis D'Souza, joins us right now first on CNBC. And Francis, thanks for coming in this morning. Thanks for having me. All right, there's a lot to dig through. Why don't we start with the numbers from last night? They were better than had been expected. What's happening in the core business right now? Yeah, sure. We're really excited about the, the way the year is starting in terms of the launch of our flagship product, the NovaSeq X, which is in our high-end uh, next-generation sequencer. It's the most powerful sequencer in the market. We announced it in the fall and started shipping it in Q1. And a couple of things played out in Q1 for us. One, there's been really strong customer demand for the sequencers, and we're seeing that demand from high-end uh, research institutions. But also, interestingly, 40% of the demand is coming from the clinical customer base, and that's usually a customer base that takes a little while to absorb new technology. But there's really strong demand from uh, from uh, uh, you know, medical device companies that are doing diagnostic testing services, that are doing uh, cancer therapy selection services, and also a lot of new to sequencing customers. So on the one hand, we're seeing really strong demand. We exited Q1 with 200 orders, which is the strongest book of demand we've had for any sequencer we've ever launched. And on the other hand, we've seen our manufacturing ramp really nicely. We were expecting to ship between 40 and 50 units in Q1. We ended up ship shipping 67. So really, our operations have done really well. How much do these things cost? Uh, retail is about $1.2 million. So better than expected demands in places that you didn't uh, plan on seeing it. You're also talking about cost savings, reducing expenses by $100 million a year or annually on that run rate. What, what, what do you do to get that? Yeah, so our focus now is that now that we've shipped the sequencer, we're looking at uh, increasing our operating margins. Historically, we've operated in the range of 25 to 30 percent in terms of our operating margins. And this year we're at 22 because we did a lot of investment to bring out the new product. And so what we're committing to is bringing us back to 25 percent operating margin next year and then 27 percent <clears throat> the year after. So we've laid out a plan that you know, looks at expenses across a number of dimensions. One is you know, we have a global footprint and we're gonna take advantage of uh, activities in lower cost locations. We're rationalizing our real estate portfolio. We're doing some IT optimization. So there's a set of activities we've embarked on to drive the operating margins back into the historical range. If you're looking at this chart over the one year, stock's down 27%. That's in large part because of all these questions about the Grail acquisition that regulators in the UK and or in Europe, in the European Commission and here in the United States have said, don't do. The FTC has specifically said, you got to unwind this whole thing. That's created a lot of questions. That's why Carl Icahn has gotten into the mix. Where do things stand with that right now? He, th he thinks that you'd be better off without this and that he can get rid of Grail faster than you guys can. Yeah, so let's start with <clears throat> what Grail is. What Grail is is a blood test that initially we developed at Illumina uh, that you, know, you can do, and, and it's a doctor-ordered test, and it tells a person if they have one of 50 type of cancers, you know, from early stage to late stage. It's a, it's a huge breakthrough test, 
It's been in the market uh, for about 18 months now, and the customer demand has been really strong. So I've heard of this before, but yeah. this one that really works. works. This no, one, no, no, yeah, this one does. <laughs> exactly. You know, and uh, and and so uh, you know, the first 12-month revenue ramp for Grail has been the fastest of any cancer screening test in history. And what we announced in Q1 was that the demand continues to be strong. So we saw 100% growth in terms of the revenue associated with Grail from Q1 of last year to this year. There were 20,000 tests delivered in Q1. Now, we spun it out so that we could do the clinical studies to bring the test to the market, and then we reacquired it. And the reason we think it makes sense at Illumina is that we can accelerate bringing this test to more people more quickly, more affordably than Grail could do on their own. On their own, they're offering this test as a self-pay test. It's about $950, and they're planning to roll it out only in the U.S. and the U.K. by 2030. In Illumina, we can expand the footprint of that test. Really, we operate in 150-plus countries around the world, and we have teams that are experts in bringing reimbursement for tests. And so what we can do is make this test more available to people who can't afford the $950 test and roll it out more quickly. That makes sense, but the regulators have said no. I, I don't know what their reasoning is for it, um, but it does have a lot of people, including some Wall Street analysts, who anticipate that the most likely thing is this thing is going to be spun back off, that you, you're not going to be able to beat the regulators saying no. So we're working, as you said, both in the U.S. and the U.K. In the U.S., actually, the FTC's administrative law judge ruled in favor of Illumina doing this deal and against the FTC. Now, the commissioners overruled that, and so we're now going to court, and the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals granted as an expedited review. Right. So we're going to go to court. The only time this deal has ever been reviewed in court was at the FTC ALJ, and, and we won what's, that case. What's the timeline for that? Uh, the timeline is end of this year, early next year. And so the two uh, legal processes play out in that same time frame. The uh, U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision is expected in that time frame. Similarly, in Europe, we have a jurisdiction decision right. and appeal that's also going to play out. It costs you if you lose. The, in parallel, though, we're running a divestiture path, so we're moving in divestiture as fast as we can. And so what's happening is the divestiture path isn't being slowed down. So there's not really a differential between us keeping the appeals going or not. Right. We're still moving as quickly as we can you know, on the divestiture path. Do you think it was a mistake to go down this path to begin with? I ask only because of the question of how much mind share it probably takes you and your management team and the board vis-a-vis -vis this one unique transaction and how transformational you might and valuable you might think this one particular transaction would be relative to managing the business that you already have. Well, at this point, you know, the it's not a lot of bandwidth from the executive team of the board because it's now managed in the legal process by our external legal teams. And as you can see from Q1, our team is completely focused on our core business. And that's what led to the X coming out, the strong results we saw in Q1. And so the vast majority of the company on both sides, actually on Grail and on Illumina, are focused on the core business. And so the regulatory process and the legal process is, is playing out sort of in the background, but not really taking up the resources in the company. Right, but at the same time, now you have Carl Icahn. I mean, just if you, you start to think about the mind share that all of this takes, right? Both the transaction, I know you're saying there's no mind share use. No, there's but people that get $800 an hour to worry about. I this. know, but what? what uh, trust me, when you're paying $800 an hour, I, I, you, you, you're still spending some time they thinking about Saul, yourself. They got Saul Goodman, I think. Uh, um, false positives and false negatives. What, what's more, uh, I just don't know how, how perfect this test is. Is it 99? What is it? Yeah, that's one of the, the, the breakthroughs of this test. When we set out to, to create this test, we said for it to be a true population screen, it needs a false positive rate to your point of less than 1%, okay. which would be extraordinary. I don't want either. I, I've tried to decide what I'd rather have. I don't want either. 
I mean, that's why it's such a hard business to be in. False positive, it's like, oh, sh- I, you know, I got cancer. A false negative is you don't know you have cancer. What, either way. Yeah, what you want is an extraordinarily low false positive. 99% so on both sides. 0.5% 0.5 to 0.7 false, false and, positive, and right? False positive. And the positive false predictive value is, is, is well above you know, uh, some of the other screens that exist for the five cancers that have other screens. But remember, yeah. 45 of the cancers that Grail looks for have no other screens, pancreatic right. cancer. And so and those are some of the deadliest so cancers. A, a little yeah. bit of and we know that there. if you catch a cancer early, even a deadly cancer like pancreatic cancer, your odds of survival are much, even much pancreatic. higher. Oh, yeah. Even pancreatic. If you catch it in so stage one, absolutely. Yeah. And now we have many examples of people, even at our company where we've rolled it out, where people are saying, look, I, I found a pancreatic cancer. I've been treated and I'm healthy now. That's right. a big deal. Francis, let's talk about Carl Icahn. Uh, in his normally fiery rhetoric, he, he's really latched onto you guys and, and gone after you in a big way in the last couple of days, in the last maybe five days with some letters he's put out. He calls you, uh, he says you and the board are obfuscating the truth. He says your credibility is suspect, uh, throws all kinds of charges at you and the board. He wants you out. He's telling your shareholders this. How do you battle that? Yeah, our approach is going to be to continue to engage with shareholders and, and lay out our plan to say, here are the things we are going to be doing that drive shareholder value. So stay focused on the core business, continue to drive the growth and the scale of the Novaseek X this year, and at the same time, stay focused on margins and drive operating margins to 25% next year, 27% next year. And so what we're going to our investors with is our plan to create shareholder value. And, and that's what we're going to focus on. Did you start conversations with Carl Icom? Did you try to be constructive? What happened? Yeah, at the beginning of the process, when, when Carl engaged with us, uh, I did talk to him. And we actually went down to, to Florida to meet with him. And our approach was to try and settle this and avoid a, a proxy battle. And so we engaged with him about what we could do uh, you know, to, to avoid this path. And we talked about adding, you know, a board member from uh, ICON uh, onto our board, as well as independent board members. And so uh, we didn't get anywhere because Carl wanted to have you know, two of his employees and then one ex-employee on the board. And from our perspective, look, as we looked at what the company needs going forward, we lay out a skills matrix on what we will need for the board for where the company needs to go. And so we've already been down the path of looking for two new board members, and we've laid out the profiles. One is a public company CEO in the healthcare space focused on growth, ideally manufacturing as well. And the second is a, a, the profile of a public company CFO with Wall Street background. So we said, these are the profiles we're looking for. Let's go find independents that meet you know, those profiles. And so independently, we'd been doing that. We started with 50 people on the public CEO side. We're down to you know, the last few now, uh, similarly on the CFO side. But we couldn't converge, and, and that's where we are now. You may not be counting votes as closely as Kevin McCarthy is right now in the House, but where do you think things fall? It's early in the process. We still have four weeks to go before the annual shareholder meeting. And a lot of the voting, as you know, happens in the last couple of weeks. So right now we're still focused on the outreach and the engagement and sharing our plan to drive shareholder value. All right, Francis, thank you for being here today. Come back. Let us know how it goes. Thank you. Cheese will be next. Coming up, the AI arms race, Microsoft Alphabet unveiling quarterly results and their plans for deploying artificial intelligence. The biggest AI bets in big tech, plus what's at stake for Google? Investor and author Matt Higgins. They're like Kodak, you know, 1975. They had the digital camera. And what happened? They had an employee uprising around the safety and the technology, all the arguments we hear right now. So they relatively hit pause. Squawk Pod will be right back. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast. 
generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com designed for work. Canva. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. All right. Apple is working on an artificial intelligence-powered health coaching service, as well as new technology for tracking emotions. That's according to a Bloomberg report that says that the coaching service, which is codenamed Quartz, is designed to keep users motivated to exercise, improve eating habits, and sleep better. It would use AI and data from an Apple Watch to make suggestions and create coaching programs that are tailored to specific users. The report said that the service is tentatively planned for next year. Is this any different, though, than what I... I've already got my aura uh, ring, as you know. Oh, yeah. That tells me like, what I'm supposed to, to do on any given day. Oh, leave me alone. God. But I, I, this has been... This, by the way, this kind nag, of service... Nag, I don't, yeah. Exercise. Don't eat that. It's like, I, I get that talking. already. This already exists, though. I mean, I don't it know does. what, I don't know what they're wife. talking about. <laughs> that's, that's a different story. <laughs> She's right. She is. You should listen. I don't need a freaking watch telling me that. Piling on. <sighs> That's your own problem. Uh, coming up. It's not a problem. It's why I look so... So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah, absolutely. Shares of Microsoft and Alphabet on the move this morning. Both tech giants beating expectations for the first quarter. Steve Kovac joins us now with more details on the quarter and, yes... The AI race. That's, That's what everyone wants to know about AI, but we'll talk about the quarter first. So what you need to know from these earnings reports is Microsoft was soaring after beating on the top and bottom lines, but it was really the guidance for, quote, healthy revenue growth that saw it go a leg higher. It was up as much as 9% after hours yesterday, up about 8% now. And that important Azure cloud segment, it grew 27% year on year. And now over to Google, that was also a beat on the top and bottom lines, but growth just really fading overall. Revenue only growing 3% year on year to $69 billion. Ad revenue was down in YouTube as well. Shares were just up slightly. And then it's AI, that's the real story. And look, it's clear after listening to these earnings call guys, the race is on. Microsoft talking about generating actual new sales from AI products already in use with some of its customers. Also bragged about gaining search market share, but in reality, anything they could gain would be meaningless at this point because of Google's dominance there. And Google sounding far more cautious on AI, CEO Sundar Pichai, less specific about timing for any plans for revenue generating AI products. We'll continue to incorporate generative AI advances to make search better in a thoughtful and deliberate way. We'll be guided by data and years of experience about what people want and our high standards for quality. And we'll test and iterate as we go because we know that billions of people trust Google to provide the right information. So if I had to guess, guys, I think we're not going to really see anything from Google until their developers conference next did, month. Did, I did, think that's when we'll show something. Did Microsoft need to get its search business better earlier could it could it have been could it have been a, a are they doing AI now because they're not going to miss this? But, but the, it, well, it's part of it is it kind of supercharges their search. But you know they are very confident they can gain market share 
against Google. And just even the whiff of that is enough to send Google down. But they kind of missed the boat. Oh, yeah. That was, that was ages and ages ago. I know. Ago, yes. I know, but stay, they're still trying. Right? But stay the, here. We're going to continue this because uh, we're going to bring some other people into the conversation. Matt Higgins is here. He's the co-founder and CEO of RSE Ventures, author of Burn the Boats. Uh, uh, good morning to you. Here's the AI. Here's the question I'm trying to figure out, and it goes to what all of you were just talking about, which is, does Microsoft plan to make money off of Bing? Do we actually think that's, that yeah. the search engine is going to be the game changer, or is the real game changer going to be this co-pilot service uh, that Chat G, with ChatGPT effectively inside of Microsoft Outlook, inside Microsoft Word, inside Microsoft Excel, and all of that? Matt? I think Bing is a sideshow. I mean, it, I do think to some extent, you know, it's going to take time for people to even reconsider Bing, but they don't need to do that in order to win. The most interesting part of the earnings announcement to me was uh, Azure AI, 2,500 uh, customers up 10x. And if you go onto their website and you look at some of the case studies, they're really fascinating and they're giving them an advantage as we speak. They're solving really com complicated problems using their enterprise solutions, and they're beginning to create an, an, a gravitational pull from Microsoft that's going to make more and more companies want to jump in, jump in and say, hey, do this for me. Where do you sit when it comes to Google? Why is Google taking its time, even though clearly they were ahead of the game? Yeah to begin with. Yeah, I think what I read into Sundar Pichai's statement on being responsible and deliberate and taking their time, I just read that as, oops, we got caught you know, with our pants down here with uh, Microsoft moving so quickly. Is it this. oops or is it we think that Microsoft's being irresponsible? That was also my question. If, I, if Sundar Pichai was sitting right here, I'd be right. asked, is the implication there that Microsoft's being irresponsible? Because we know that being AI right. is not perfect. Mm -hmm. And we know that Google's own product is not perfect. So are they waiting for perfection or is this just kind of an excuse because they're behind? I Matt, don't know. what do you think of that? And, and part of the other thing is, you know, Microsoft's always had a, I would say not always, but last 20 years has done a lot of work in Washington to have a, a, a better relationship with Washington. The regulatory community thinks that they're responsible. They said so, yesterday. So maybe they have a little bit more leeway in, in a way than Google feels like it has given its more challenged relationship with Washington. I think it's a I think it's a total excuse to be honest as a talking point. Go back in time, right? Google has been finishing our sentences for how many years? That's AI. They had the solution in the building. They're like Kodak, you know, 1975. They had the digital camera. And what happened? They had an employee uprising around the safety and the technology, all the arguments we hear right now. So they relatively hit pause. They kept shelving product, not pushing product. Instead of hire, hiring engineers, they hired ethicists. Well, what, do you, what happens? You get white papers, you don't ship product. And so I think that they're grasping at straws, honestly, and using this mm. argument. Uh, and I think, I don't even think they deserve to be in the same conversation right now. Okay, I'm gonna throw a third name in that either deserves or doesn't deserve to be in the conversation, except that they're the biggest player effectively in the cloud. You just talked about Azure, which is, where does Amazon, you think, ultimately play in all of this? They want to do exactly what Matt was describing, what Azure is doing as hosting all these services. Right. That's exactly, when you spoke with Andy Jesse yeah. just a couple weeks ago, that's kind of where they see this going. They're coming out with, they have their own chips to process this AI stuff. Right. They have that partnership with the uh, AI company Hugging Face. Yes. So all of this, it's, it's a cloud play. And just to his point also, that's what Satya Nadella is all about. It's still just a cloud benefit. It's still a that's cloud what, play. That's also why they're buying Activision. It's right. all a cloud play. But Matt, to that, to that extent though, I mean, when you think about that, how important is the open AI, generative AI product that Microsoft has to layer on top of it, which is something that right now Amazon does not have, though they're building all sorts of other products, um, it seems like. 
Uh, tremendously important. What happens is it creates commoditization around the competitors, right? All right, you're hosting cloud, but what else can you do for me? Now the expectation, it's happening to me. I'm looking across my portfolio after reading those case studies saying, wait, I have that problem. If I just switch cloud services from Amazon to Microsoft, I can get all that too. So I think it's vastly uh, important. I think you're going to see them pulling away market share from Amazon. I'm sure it's happening already because I'm already reassessing my entire portfolio. That's a great name. I just, I just love that name. Uh, I like the book behind you. That expression, <laughs> Matt, you. you must know it's 500 years old, that expression. Well, see, this, is, well, this is why I wrote, I, this is why I wrote the book. We, we wrongly attributed to uh, Cortez, who was just it's culturally not appropriating. It's, <clears throat> it's not, not Cortez. Cortez. It who goes back it? to the beginning of recorded history. There are stories in every country about yeah. a military Cortez. general who burned the boat. <laughs> Cortez got the, to the New World with 600 men. Right. We didn't have, the, said, we didn't have social the media. He said, burn the boats. And all of them said, boss, boss, wait a second. Can we just, uh, <laughs> you might want to go can home. we just, uh, but they burned them. Okay. And, uh, but, but so it goes back to the beginning of time. Huh? It goes back to uh, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. Wow. Alexander the Great. The Chinese have a story from 206 BC where, and they literally made a word for it called burn the boats, but Cortez had a better marketing campaign apparently. And uh, well, we on Jeopardy, if I say who is Cortez, am I going to get it right or wrong? You're, you are going to get it wrong, but they won't know that you got it wrong. So you'll get it okay. right. Okay. <laughs> Matt, if someone's got to burn the boat in this, in this tech context, who's burning the boat? Everybody. Uh, you know, you mean who, who, who are you going all in on? Yeah. You're going all in on Microsoft, and I, I'm an investor in NVIDIA, but they've got tremendous uh, uh, pricing power right now that I don't see going away for a period of time. And you're looking for anyone who's pursuing medical solutions. That's the real okay. unlock that we haven't even seen yet. That's going to be a massive, Microsoft's massive doing industry. that too, by the way. Microsoft's doing that too. Matt, Steve, thanks, guys. That is Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan. Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and get the best of our TV show right into your ears when you follow Squawk Pod. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Hit that follow or subscribe button and get us in your feed every day. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.